I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore challenging ideas that might often divide us, but we want to understand them a little bit more. And in this little mini-series that may turn into a longer-term series, I'm wanting to explore the stories of the stories behind the ideas, okay? And to help me do this, uh, you probably already listened to one episode with good friend Matt Potts. We didn't learn too much about him in the other episode where I was telling the story. So let me reintroduce to you Matt Potts again. Matt Potts, thanks for uh, being a part of Ideas Digest right now. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be here. We've actually spoken about this. You've trying to like coax me into telling my story and to get me on the show to explain particularly this part of my like little safari of like religion. So the cliff notes of this of this journey or this story you're going to you're going to tell us seems to be Matt was Christian and a deconstruction journey story is that the is that the yeah. general bird's eye view of what we what we what we're in for. Yeah, this is a TLDR deconstructed Christian journey and a washed up preacher story. Okay. Well, I think a lot of friends of the show who might be listening to this will be very interested to hear your journey. Uh, we've had, a f- you've probably seen, a lot of deconstructed perspectives on the show. I've interviewed them and explored their ideas, but I want to take a different tact with you, Matt. I want, I just want to understand your journey and your story as much as possible. So I, I want to hand the reins over to you. Yeah. Um... I guess on the 868, driving, uh, you know, riding home, that's where we, uh, if, you, if people want to know where we first met, that's where it first yes. began. Mm-hmm. You were the cool kid at the back of the bus. I was well, like a bit younger than you. I was an you. awkward kid, I think. Um, well, awkward, you were the back. Kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> closet geek. But regardless, I was like, a, I guess, a teenager wrestling through the world, right? Just anyone. But I guess the special sauce or spice that was in my worldview at the time was being that uh, like a... I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist, right? So I was, um, I'd grown up at Sabbath school and I had, um, I was just trying to formulate the worldview, right? As we were going through high school. And I remember it was around that time of us catching the bus home from the 868. It was funny, like I was, you know, how like two different paths could diverge because it was around that time, I think I would have been around 16, 17. And I, I started getting some, I guess I was making some decisions that church wasn't really for me. And I was really not like seeing 16. what I, are you 16 at this point? Yeah, at this point, I was okay. like, what's really happening here? But um, there's this other OCD part of me that had also, you know, my, my, my normal family, like they were never like pushing religion on me or anything. I, was, I felt actually quite free to make my own decisions. Um, and I remember getting um, invited to a, a certain, like a meeting. And, and these meetings were actually, you've got like Adventism, right? And then you've got on one end of the spectrum, which is, you know, we, that's a whole other conversation, but there's a segment of Adventism, which is independent ministries. Have you heard of it, Conrad? Like independent? No, no. For, for friends of the show just listening, when you say Adventism, we've, like, we've had a few Adventist guests on before. Right. Give okay. us a TLDR on Adventism and then maybe your, I guess that's what you're getting to, your positioning within Adventism. Like yeah. liberal conservative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So basically Seventh-day Adventism is like a bit of a, a niche um, 
denomination. Um, it's a, I don't know, it's a, how big it is around the world, but it's, you know, quite, it's a worldwide movement and um, it started uh, a few, you know, a, a, a little while ago and mainly, you know, I guess it rose up around the same time, similar times of like Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff, but not saying it is a Jehovah's Witness thing, but <laughs> uh, it's basically a, a church that dis- differentiates itself being Seventh-day Adventist, that it's the Sabbath is the key thing, like Seventh-day Adventist. So they believe yeah. that the Sabbath is a huge thing and that they, um, they're very much an end times movement driven church, like in terms of their message, message and calling, meaning that they have a special message for the latter days or like the end times for the planet earth. Like, and you find that special message, um, in revelation and Daniel, and, um, it's, it's got a, a particular identity, identity of how it would say we have this contribute. Um, now okay. how that turned up in our lives is all very different because it, it, you know, like any denomination, you have a liberal and you have a conservative end. And I guess this is what we're getting to that some rather conservative um, people in my life wanted to really, they saw that I was maybe 50, 50 on church and they really wanted to get my life back on track. So they're like, where can I take a Matty Potts, um, you know, to indoctrinate him in, in the ways of the truth, right. You know, in the ways of, (laughs) and so I rock up this, this meeting and this meeting is actually illegal for us. Like the, the Adventist church doesn't even recognize it. Like they, they say, we don't want anything to do with this. Like this is right wings shit. <laughs> so, yes. so people look at Adventism and they go, that's a pretty conservative Protestant movement. And so you're saying this movement was like, nah, you're the like blacklisted. Yeah. You're too far for us. Yeah. 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 So I rock okay. up, I remember this meeting full of like, and when you're in this sort of niche of Adventism, like it's full of like really weird people and like homeschool looking peeps that are walking <laughs> around and, and we're in this like uh, uniting church hall. And, um, there's this like this traveling uh, preacher that's there and, um, he gets up and he starts going like really hardcore. Now I'd read a lot of Adventism. Like I'd sort of, I've gotten my head in around, like, you know, the, I'd read all the books, like I was just a curious kid. So I'd read all like Ellen White's key books. I knew the prophecies. I had a simmering belief there that maybe we were in the end times. So I guess I'm quite primed coming into this conversation. And he's Ellen White's like the big wig of yeah. Adventism, sorry, Ellen White's you know, like, like the prophet, founding of, founding mother. Yes, uh, or the messenger. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like nuance here that you've got to like navigate. Okay. Um, I'm really trying to cram it into a box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, this guy's like. He's going hard against the Adventist church. He's an Adventist, but he's just like, he's basically the sins of where we're at. Like basically the core of his message he's coming out with is, is just basically like Adventism has lost its way. We've lost our truth. But, you know, once the end is here though, and we're about to face it all. And I'm sort of like, whoa, this is intense. But then he starts going, he starts just going, and you know what? There's choirs full of gays within these Adventist churches. And I was just like, oh, like that took a dark turn. Yeah, he's just going hard. He's just like, and they've lost their way theologically. And they've done like, and I'm just like, well, gonna get in my head around this. But I guess that part of me that was a bit ODD, oppositionally defined at school, was just like, Uh who is this guy? Like, I'm into some weirdo like homeschool event. You you weren't sucking in. You're like, who are these weirdos? He was just like preaching at me. And I'm sort of being a bit of a smart ass, just sort of smiling back at him. And um, he's, we're making eye contact during the thing. And I'm like, dude, you're not going to intimidate me with this stuff. And he's just like, and then our young people. And he's like scanning the room and we lock eyes. He's like, they're habitual masturbators. <laughs> and he's he looking at, <laughs> at me. And I was How just like, know? 
I'm like, is this guy prophetic or what? Like, come <laughs> on. Like, <laughs> is the Holy Spirit here? Is this like a prophetic word? I was just, I was just like, at that point, stunned. I'm like, not not aware, me. obviously, at 16 or 17. He, like, Guilty. Most of the people in that room are habitual masturbators. <laughs> <laughs> His odds were good. <laughs> His odds were very good. But I get stuck. At, at this point, it destabilizes me. I'm like, yeah, like I've got this section. Yeah, mate. Oh, oh, no, maybe. And then so he starts landing. He starts going into this. Basically, Sunday law is coming. And um, Sunday law, for those that aren't on the initiated side of things of Adventism, is basically when the whole world will get uh, suckered into what with the Catholic Church. There's going to be this enforced Sunday law. And um, the Adventist movement will be, at that point, trying to oppose it. And this will be part of the end times thing. And um, I'd read those books. And I'm like, oh, crap. There's this, obviously, sexual cinema life <laughs> at that time. And I'm like... Um, and then he does this altar call at the end. And he's just like, all right, come up the front. If you believe that God's speaking in your heart today, and like my heart, you know, he's like, your heart's beating. And like, you know, you know, you know God's speaking to you tonight. God's speaking. You come up the front. If you're going to be part of the end times, like call of God. And so yeah. I, I was just like, that's like, I, I've read this stuff and this, he, maybe he's right. Yeah. He can detect habitual masturbators in a room. <laughs> <laughs> and then teenage yeah, boys just hit Teenage boys them. are just like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I come to the front and I give my like. So I, he I got give, you with that. He got me. He got you me. You went from like, oh come on, mate. He's like, you masturbate, Matt. Oh. <laughs> I was sucking him, mate. I I don't know what you do with that, right? So I, yeah. I came up the front and I was just like, uh, we didn't. I don't know if he's I, I, part of the night. Recall that, and um, he was just like. Anyway, it was it was a weird a weird experience, and I guess that part of me led me into down a more conservative pathway where I um I got more and more into this. I, I started going to some more and more of these meetings, and I guess I got swept up a bit in um you would say quite a, a fundamentalist um, understanding of the Bible and a fundamentalist understanding of why the church was broken and why the Adventist Church wasn't living up to its potential. You would mm. say. So um, you're feeling disconnected from all of this and you're questioning, you know, what's the point of Adventism and being Christian or something. And now you've kind of, you're, you're stepping into, you've been re like consolidated into this worldview going, Oh, I like that. Was that the reason you weren't in on it was because you weren't, you're now have this worldview. That's like, well, of course I didn't like it because it's not taking it seriously. And now I'm going into the serious side of it. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess I felt like there was this part of my church experience that just felt so apathetic. I was just like, we would rock up. The church isn't really changing that much. We talk about this Jesus and there's always like miracles and things that happen. And you read the books and you're like, we're part of this end time movement that's going to give this truth to the world. But at my own little local Adventist church, nothing spe- I mean, I was going to Pathfinders, and, which is like this a really geeky version of Scouts. And, <laughs> hey, um, hey. and, <laughs> and I, I was just doing that thing, but nothing really was special. It was just all the same infighting. It was just the same, you know, like mm, I was okay. moved at times by messages and stuff like that. So I guess when I found this, I was like, well, maybe this is what's missing. This is like, mm. we just haven't taken it seriously enough. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess what I didn't realize at the time that upon like reading this book, The Righteous Mind, which has a, had a huge impact on my, I guess, understanding of all this is that within e- within each one of us is that self-righteous asshole, basically, that mm. basically perceives the world that what they are discovering about truth is right. And um, basically uh-huh. there's something within us that 
would trust our own intuition, our own background, like my own Adventist context, and that everyone else would be wrong. And so you combine that with being, you know, just a, a young male trying to work out, you know, not a fully formed mind, and you start adding these spices of like fundamentals Adventism, and then you can quite quickly get on a pathway of like, we need to rediscover the truth. We need to get it out there. But usual story, right? And never like these hyper like conservative or like really fundamentalist things are great in the meeting. They're great when you're like got your Bible study and you're putting it all together and you're like, we have the truth. But then the actual outflow of my life, there wasn't like a lot of fruit you would say in my life that was just, I wasn't super, you know, like it wasn't making me a better, like I was, I was a more of a judgmental asshole, but I wasn't like more, you know, nothing outside of being highly opinionated, but there was nothing that was really that special about my life. So I guess I lived with that hypocrisy and it wasn't until later that um, a whole turning of events that um, we got more and more involved. But fast forwarding through, luckily, I was able to slowly swing my way out of that into more of a mainstream Adventist belief system. I decided and I felt like God had spoken to me to become a pastor. So I was like a, a geologist at that point that had just uh, graduated. And that's a whole other story of dissonance of me, which we can come back to in the end. Um, but basically... I got to this point where I wanted to become a, a pastor and I got like a, a job in a certain state in Australia. So when I got down there, um, I, you know, I, I had a lot of stuff in the back of my brain from studying, going through uni, going through college, getting exposed to all these new things. I mean, college had straightened me out and put me far more in a moderate perspective, but there was still a lot there of like, really, how do, how do I put this all together? How does this all work? Like, I'm not sure. So there's this weird experience, Conrad, that happened down in, in Melbourne, which became an ex, like a, a bit of a life steering event for me. So basically, I'm a young intern pastor, and this um, lady, uh, Adventist ab, uh, evangelist, actually comes through, and she wants to give everyone a, a she wants to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Now, my understanding of that previously is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was this thing um, that would equip you to take the gospel out, but elements of Christianity believed that it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit was actually speaking in tongues. So I had rejected that part of it. I've argued with Pentecostals about it, and that was just definitely not me. I actually thought it was demonic, like the whole speaking in tongues thing, which was interesting because what ends up happening, I'm in this Adventist church, and she's praying over us about to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and laying hands on us, and then I start, my tongue starts moving, and I start speaking in tongues, which is really disturbing because... One, it's not really accepted within the Adventist church. Mm. And two, there's a whole family history there of trauma or speaking in tongues. Like my wife had spoken in it and she then found out, thought it was demon possession. And we listened to tapes of people getting cast out with demons and stories of people that had spoken it. And there was some demonic influence there. And so here's me, like in my young 20s as a young intern youth pastor down there in this other state and I'm all of a sudden speaking in tongues and I'm like Adventist church. I'm in an Adventist church. Yeah. Ah, And this lady's up the front and you're so Adventism as a whole, as I understand it is like, is pretty, it's, it's, it's not really accepted. Adventists don't speak in tongues. And a lot of them would say, as as you've outlined saying it's from the devil, but then the, as you put it, the self-righteous asshole version of you in this conservative, (laughs) like ultra conservative worldview, they, that would have been even more like 
even more frowned upon if that was possible. Yeah. From where, yeah. from where you were before. Right. Exactly. Okay. No, that, that was definitely, it was a demonic thing. hundred percent. Like, the devil is inside of you. You are possessed and yeah. something's going and, on. And like, I, I mean, it's a whole story there, but like, basically I'd listen to tapes of people getting cast out with demons in them, like tapes with people tapes, that I know. Like- Audio, like audio recordings audio recordings yeah of people that would say the demons would be we would, uh, the the preacher that was casting out the demon would be saying that this person speaking in tongues uh, the demon saying is they're profaning god basically so there's a lot of trauma I need, there i need more details on <laughs> i'm like this is a rabbit hole we could go down but <laughs> on why are you like give me one example of when you're sitting around listening to audio of somebody speaking in tongues and getting the demon cast out of them well, in what scenario does this occur? Well, it's not I, on Spotify top playlists. No, 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 no. So this came through family connections, actually. Okay. And um, they, yeah, they were, yeah. So it was basically through family connections that happened. I, I won't go into like specific details just in case of yeah. um, ramifications. Um, but yeah, there's family connections. I was listening to this. And um, and I mean, it's funny, like, where do you get your theology from demons, right? Like, that's a pretty funny way to get your theology from somewhere anyway of like, so is this true, demon? Do you, uh, you know, is speaking in tongues right or wrong? And, you, you know, basically demons aren't there to lie to you or they're not there to like make things up, right? So it's just a funny story anyway of just like, I'm just probably more trying to paint the picture of me being loaded with like fear with this thing. It's just yeah. like, this is not like, oh, wow, now I've got filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, this felt normal and cool and weird. Um, but am I demon possessed? And before this point, you mentioned, uh, your wife had spoken in tongues and yes, was yes. your reaction to that was already your demon possessed. We need to deal with that. Pray for you. She was young at the time. And so, yeah, I was just like, this is wrong. We got to stop this. And yeah, her with some other friends, we just, they'd stopped doing that. So right. it was just more, it's more the point of like what's happening to me. Like, and oh, man, like, what do I do now? And so... <laughs> I'm going through and I had a mentor who was in the area and he um, he had told me before that he had cast out demons and people that had, and the demons had spoken about tongues because it was an issue in a particular church. And so I call him up and I was like, we need to talk. And so it's like um, a rainy night in the middle of winter, you know, and I'm just driving out of my car and I'm, I'm trying to like race through how I'm explaining this to Sarah, my wife, and... Uh, we we rock up in the middle of the night at this location and it's not well lit. You know, it's just that whole typical, just like almost like, you know, it's just this scene of like, um, you know, I get in the car and I'm just intense, Matt, trying to explain to him what's happened. I'm just, and I basically just confessed to him. I was just like, this is what's happened to me. And he's just like, oh, okay. But I said, I know that this could be wrong um, and I'm open to it being wrong. So would you mind praying with me and we could maybe check that this wasn't like a bad thing that's like i was demonically possessed or something and so he's like yes we have this prayer and um he basically leans that way as well as you know jesus in jesus name cast this out blah blah if this and i'm just waiting for my head to spin around or like my my voice to drop to a lower pitch and start you know and nothing happens i feel completely fine and we're just looking at each other awkwardly and we're like well, I guess it's not demons. <laughs> but anyway, like this is my first part of my deconstruction experience because I knew at that point if I was to pursue this sort of thing that I, I wouldn't, I, I'd have to go undercover with it. And I sort of vowed to myself in my conservative days that if I would ever become one of those like 
lukewarm Conrad Mikowski's that goes to church. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Matt, is, Matt, is, Matt is having a dig at my, I was very liberal. I was Very just, liberal, Conrad. I, I was, you know, drums are okay in church, you know. No, they're tongues, part of syncopation. To each their own <laughs> was, was very much. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I was also young at the time. And I remember like when I broke the story to Sarah, it was, we, it was just like, and I was just swept up in this thing of like, what do I, like, I don't know. And I, I started panicking and I was like, is this all even real? Is this all in my head? Is this like now, is Adventism just in my head? And I started just rapidly deconstructing down there. And I was just in such a, it was such a bad time in my life. I can't explain because like family are caught wind, everyone's concerned. And I'm like wanting to. So everyone knew you'd spoken oh, in tongues. They, yeah. It just sort of leaked out. Right. They didn't, and not everyone knew. No, no, not everyone around me. It was his family back home were hearing about right. this. And there was yeah. like a lot of trauma, pressure coming in. And I'm like ready to bail on the whole thing. Like, I'm just like, this is just, yeah. But anyway, I felt this nudging um, to go to this church up the road. And this church up the road, it's a weird story. I was like, Sarah, we're going to this church up the road. And she's like, and she's like, well, this is the best I've seen Matt, you know, at least enthusiastic about church in the last little while because I've been trying to bottle in my deconstruction, what's happening to me down there. And I lost my way a bit and I was just like, so I walk in and then... Sorry, what, what was the question when you're saying you're deconstructing? What was that question that you were asking yourself? You're like, it because it sounds like you used to think speaking in tongues was from the devil and then you did it, whatever form that takes. And then it, it seemed like, that little, well, it doesn't seem like it's from the devil. It seems like a bit fine. What's the question then that makes you question everything? Well, I was just guessing whether it was just made up in my head, I guess. And that just opened up, you know, I was always then wrestling with the fact that part of all of this was just in my head and that, um, and I was just like, am I just, I don't know. I was just, it was, it was, it's hard to go exactly into my brain at that point, I guess, I was in a lot of pain. Like you could see, I was just like in a lot of pain in the sense of there was all this stress and pressure of what was happening of like, what do I do with my life? You know, do I continue down this pathway? I don't want to just go undercover with this slash. Then then there was always other thoughts of like, well, maybe I've just made all this up. And maybe Hmm. it was just, I was just questioning things. I was just like, I was looking at my, I guess my trajectory as a career pastor within the church. And I was like, part of me was- You're a pastor at this point. Yeah, well, unofficially, like I was still an intern, so I wasn't like fully ordained. But you finished four I years. I finished of... college, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so, but I guess at this point, I was just in a very 50-50 pace of my ministry and, and where I would go. Yeah. Like I was just, I didn't know. I felt maybe I needed time to like reassess some things. This is really spun a spanner in the works. And I was just really lost. Like I was just like, didn't know what to do. I didn't really know who to talk to. Like you can't really talk to your... <laughs> your like, colleagues about this really because it's it's quite in like it's such you know a that thing topic. that i'm meant to be preaching to people yeah <laughs> but i don't yeah, know <laughs> it's really it's quite an intense time but anyway um i felt this nudging to go to the church up the road so we went to this church up the road and um we walk in i felt uncomfortable I, it was like my heart was panicked. it was just this weird feeling and sarah upon reflection i had the same thing it wasn't uncomfortable it was just more like Something was about to happen. I couldn't explain what was about to happen. And this woman gets up in this church and she's like, there's someone here. And she's like, so that she's about to give like 
a, like a message to the church. She says she feels like there's like probably a thousand people in this room and she's about to give a specific message that she's just been felt that God has given her. And she's just like, there's someone here. And this is really strange. She's like, someone here is in paid ministry, but they've just lost their faith. They've just lost their way with it. And God wants you to know that he has a call for your life and for you not to like give up on this thing. And, and I'm just like, I'd never get exposed to this sort of thing before. I just look at Sarah and I'm like, we are out of here. Like, I'm just like, what the heck is this? This is just so weird. It was, it was so, it felt like so specific for me as she was just going down to this person who had lost their way. There's a call in your life. And this is the big thing that I'd wrestled through to get to their pl- that place in the begin with. And I'm like, we're bailing. And Sarah's like, well, we can't just bail because we need to like close this loop. Maybe it wasn't for you. And then so I just hung out at the end of the service and I was just waiting around. Was there anyone else in paid ministry, full-time paid ministry that was losing their way, but God wants you to, uh-uh. and then I end up speaking, speaking to the lady and we get connected to a, a church down there. And I just knew at that point now, this is opening up all these cans of worms, which weren't appropriate, I guess, for me to deal with in a Adventist context. Um, so this church, is a not Adventist church. This it wasn't is like Adventist church, Pentecostal yeah. or something. This yeah, other, yeah, yeah. More, more charismatic, I suppose, because they're the ones that get up and, and give these prophetic words that are like super ballsy. Yeah. Like that guy, I mean, a room full of teenagers, someone's masturbating, his odds are good, but you're sitting <laughs> yeah, here in this one this was going, like, <laughs> paid ministry, what are the odds? You give it like 10, 15%, like man, a few less, people in paid you ministry. You would say in the room of a thousand people, full-time paid ministry, particularly in Pentecostal churches. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Give me the odds. What's that? Like five. The odds, I would say, would be like five and a thousand or something. Maybe, oh, maybe 10 and a thousand. So they're there. Yeah. Um, okay. But to me, at the point, it was just more of the point... I, I got connected with some leaders down there over this movement and I just knew I had to like recalibrate and I had to like bail from what was happening and the family situation was getting worse and I just knew I had to bail. So I, I basically confessed to my conference president and I said, listen, I'm also having these theological questions and they were actually really cool. Like of all these stories of like when I've thought back and looked back, I'm like, the church was actually really cool how they handled the whole thing. Cause they're like, yeah, we'll give you some time and space. Yeah. I confessed to like the head of my church in that area. And I said, this is what's happening in my life. I can't explain it. I don't know what's happening. And, and I've got all these questions now about, and I probably need some time out. And so right. to protect so at this me, point, are you yeah, questioning you the Adventist? I'm, con- the I'm questioning ver- my Adventist version. That the I denomination did. you're yeah. saying, I don't know if Adventism has got this right because I'm having these like, sounds like spiritual experiences or callings or tongues or something. And Adventism is staunchly against it. So it sounds like this is, you're questioning that. And then you've gone to the the Adventist pastors going, I'm kind of employed to send this message. I'm unsure of it at the moment. And they seem cool with it. Yeah. And and as I said, I'd back in my more right wing days, I'd like, I just, I didn't want to become that guy that was just sort of, running under the radar like i was just like this church is either what it says it is or it's not and at that point i was like this is probably um i i i was less convinced of that and i just didn't want to hang around in some moderate adventism sort of like another denomination like i'm just sort of extreme in my head like that like i'm like this is a church that says it is what it is or it's Hmm. not and so Anyway, moderate Adventism. Moderate Conrad. Yeah, moderate Conrad, basically. It's just like seven, yeah. you would call like that version of, it'd be like Seventh day Baptist or something with like a bit of soul sleep and you loosely kick the Sabbath, but it's not a really a special 
Like, it's not a special I'm denomination. I'm not counting my steps. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I get back to Melbourne. Uh, sorry, I get back from Melbourne where I was a pastor and um, I was now unemployed and it was a real dark time. Family was hitting like elements of our family, not all of my family, but elements of their, our family and greater family were all like, what the heck's happened? Because they're still um, very Adventist, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's very traumatic, very traumatic. And um, this is my first little touch of deconstruction to some extent of like when you leave something. And I guess that pain of leaving your mother church of growing up and maybe reconsidering things was quite, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be. Um, and you just start, you lose that support network. All of a sudden I'm on my own, back at my parents' house, unemployed with my wife. <laughs> You know, it's just like, it's just like, I'm, I'm back. Like, I felt like, oh man, it was just like a, a dark like time. A, failure. a really dark time. Like, I felt like a failure. And, but anyway, I guess I, res- I need a job. So I respond to this ad in the, you know, that I see about um, Apple is starting a store and I just sold my Mac. Um, but I've been a PC guy, PC, be a PC, guy. PC, PC master race. And like, <laughs> I'd sold my Mac because it was like this religious thing of like, I liked video games growing up and playing PC games. So I was like, I got a Mac to get rid of that thing in my life. And so the focus on oh. my calling. And so oh, you did not this, tell like, us that. So you I went know. through a phase of burning CDs, no yeah, video like, games. And that's oh, yeah. why you went in to In that Mac. time period of like cleansing everything, like getting away oh. from movies. Yeah. So. No, yeah. you didn't watch movies. For a time there. Yeah. I'd really avoided movies. Music? Um, no music. Yeah. I just focused on like really. Sermons. Sermons and um and hymns. hymns. Um but yeah. So okay. anyway, Glad I respond to this ad out. and I rock up and Sarah's like, You've just sold your Mac and Eddie. And it, yeah, so anyway, we she drops me off and I go into this thing and they, and they play this video, like so they're trying to get us in to like get excited about joining Apple. And this is all connected, um, this little divergence into Apple. But basically <laughs> so they, they play this video and like and they're trying to get us excited. It's like, what does everyone think? How does everyone feel about it? So it's basically all this like Apple PR stuff of like, it's the best place to work, blah, 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 blah. And like, so have you got a job like at this point events. or you just applied? I've applied and this is the first phase of interviews. And oh, they're like, they're selling so they're, to you already. They're selling, yeah, they're selling the, <laughs> oh. the whole religion thing already. <laughs> right. And and so I'm like, obviously, I'm just like trying to, and they're just like, what do you think it is? I'm like, I think it's like a bit like a halo effect. And they're like, we like what you said. I think yeah, it's something what you're saying there. I'm like, do you realize what I'm saying? But anyway, um, I sort of oh, another skeptical it. PC guy. Get him out, Tony. Yeah, get, get him, him out. out. And I couldn't even do the test, like the the Mac test. I was like, I'm a PC guy. They're like, it's fine. Do the PC test. So I, I obviously did well on the PC test. They wanted us, they wanted me to come back as a as a Apple genius technician guy. Put him in the glorified technician. Yeah, <laughs> put him in the back for the Macs. But the cool thing is, is so they get us then to, and I signed these documents to maybe not explain everything they did, but I think this is what I can share. Everyone has seen with Apple. So it's something sick. It's not a secret thing. We rock up at this place and I'm noticing three segments that they've chosen. They've chosen like sort of gay people, Christians, and musos. I'd like these three segments of people that Apple had. I don't know. It was weird. Like we all like later, all put, when we're all like to hang out together, we're just like, there's these three segments of people. And then all the leaders come in and they all line up and we're just outside awkwardly. And then we come through and everyone's cheering us as we come through into this like uh, convention center overlooking the city. And have you got the job yet or not? 
Yes, yes, they've offered me the oh, job and I need a okay, job, yes. right? So I'm like, yes. well, yeah, if you can train me to fix apples, I will. Yeah, whatever. Yes. So I'm here and now I'm weirdly getting cheered and this guy that rocks up, this charismatic dude rocks in. It's just like in church, jeans. huh? Yeah. in jeans with his like, you know, looking like the hipster cool Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. You know, that yeah. sort of t-shirt, look. jeans, t-shirt, jeans sneakers. is like, welcome to Apple. But he's like, there's one thing we're not going to continue um, until we get through. And he's like, I want everyone to like clap. So we're all like, Ooh, like this. And he's just like, and then they had a sound meter at the back. that was like going in blue bars. He's like, we're not continuing until those blue bars go higher. And I'm like, oh, okay. So we all then tried and we're like, yeah. And it went like to two bars. And we're like, he's like, not happening. We're going to continue. So we're like, yeah and then like it all went to like three bars he's like all right welcome to the family you know doing the whole like you know getting us excited to be part of the apple family and so what i didn't understand was happening i guess at the point which is another light reflection on the book the righteous mind was that they were turning it they were trying to turn us into it create it like a a dna and and put and put a you would say a um a DNA, like a, like a cultural DNA within us to turn us into this Apple thing before they started the store. And so um, what followed next was then there were some people in the next day that had to come in and um, they said, all right, guys, you know what to do. And then we all like got off our seats and then like, yeah, like, yeah. And then we went to the third bar and like, and they were awkward at the front, but that was us awkward the previous day. And so it was like this experience of, indoctrination and now welcome to the family. So I get now I've gone from this weird thing, you know, in another state, I'm now in this like swept up getting it. It was fun. Like it was awesome. The training, like there was so much more I could talk about there, but basically, but upon reflection, I was learning a lot. Like I was learning basically religion from another perspective. I was learning how you can bind humans together around an idea and around and like you can induce culture and you can make people think a certain way. And you can basically um, culturalize people in a certain direction. Sounds um, like a, a self-help Tony Robbins, like pyramid scheme or like, you know, where they <laughs> yeah, yeah, have yeah. that rich guy. Did, they, did he have a hands-free mic? Did he yeah, have of like... of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was all <laughs> oh, there. Well, like it was all like... Wow. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was And it so was you're cool. looking at like th- th- things, tactics or tactics, if that's what we call them, like things that occurred within a church you know, music and stage and lights and stuff. And now you're yeah. in a corporate setting. Yes. What, worshiping and the I'm seeing the same of, thing. Of, yeah. Of, of Apple or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing the same thing. Looking uh, back now, I can see it as this hive mind that's all within us. Like whenever we it's, we've done this for tens of thousands, millions of years as humans, whether it's through dance, whether it's through chanting or song or whatever it is, there's a hive mind part of us. So there's when we engage in it, we actually release oxytocin. It's like a pleasurable experience for us when we engage. To be cheering we, with everybody. Just be yeah, like, yeah, when, Apple. I've, I've experienced that at a Coldplay concert. You know, maybe um, Liverpool yeah. came to, um, to the MCG and I was part of the 95,000 people singing You'll Never Walk Alone. I've experienced it there. This is hive yeah. mind thing that's just really powerful. Network marketing companies are really good at it um, at their events. Like they'll really jack into this family, uh-huh. bringing people in, you know, bringing in through rites and passages. And so okay, it was planting seeds in me that were pretty important for me to like, I knew I was going to use one day. Like I knew I was going to like, I guess there was one point in my life I was going to use it. I thought it was in a church setting. Um, but 
uh, yeah, anyway, that was happening. It was fun. It was really fun. Like I actually, it was a really cool part of my life and doing that whole launch, we were singing. It was, it was super fun. And for someone that wasn't like a full Apple fanboy, obviously going into <laughs> this thing, um, it was still a really rewarding experience. The pay was average. So like I was a qualified <laughs> geologist and so I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to work long-term. Plus my wife was super struggling. Like she was really depressed about what, what situation we're in. She luckily got a job as well, but um, I had some savings and I was like, babe, we've got to get out of here. We've just got to get some headspace. And little mm. did I realize as well is this that um, Jonathan in the book, The Righteous Mind talks about this rider and the elephant thing. And he basically says that sometimes we think that if the, the elephant's like our subconscious mind, like our commitment to our, our tribe and our people and our thoughts and feelings. And there's this rider on top. But oftentimes with conversations around religion or, um, you know, morality or, or politics, it's really the rider's not in control. It's the elephant. That's the real simple metaphor. It's an amazing mm -hmm. book. You should just read the entire thing. There's so much more you could talk about there. But basically, this is what's happening is this that we've upset our tribe at home. And we need some time in a way so we, the rider can really get in, get engaged here and we can actually start to rationalize and think what's going to happen. And so the next part of the story is funny in the sense that we decide to uh, go to Cambodia where some missionaries are. And so I left Apple and I've got some savings, sold some shares and we're like, let's just go there and just get our spiritual lives back in order. And I'm now finding myself in a hospital in Cambodia. This is like in a remote part of Cambodia and my... Um, it was through, uh, yeah, through family, uh, like a, a family connection. He was, his whole ministry there was to pray for the sick in the hospital. And so he, he took me along and we were praying for these people in the hospital. I remember this one guy we were praying for, um, he, there was something wrong with his testicles or something like that. They were super swollen or whatever. And he hadn't been able to move properly. And so we pray for him and he just like jots up and he's just like, what the... And he's just like, what did you, like through, I, I couldn't understand local language. Um, the missionary there was there. He could translate and he, he felt fine. And I was just like, what? Like that, that's intense. That's cool. And I just thought, oh, maybe not. And then we prayed for this other chick and she, um, she had like something lodged in a, in a, in a bone. And um, there was, they had scans and everything to prove this as well. Like someone was, something was lodged in a bone and she needed to get surgery to get it out. Anyway, long story short, after a few days, it came back. The doctors were following us around, trying to understand what was happening because this guy that would actually was sick and ill in this hospital, um, he actually, his swelling went right down and he was basically healed. And it was just a weird, one of those weird things. That chick that we prayed for with a thing in a, like in a foot, she came in walking and she's like, it's amazing, it's gone, like they've done a scan, there's nothing there anymore. And we're just like, and I'm, I guess in this point in my experience, just trying to like, I'm not trying to explain that this is actually what happened and not how my brain reconfigured these stories, but there was some really interesting thing. This guy that the, the swollen nuts, he basically took the gospel and he's like, I'm taking this gospel thing back to my village. He's like, this is legit. I'm a Christian now. Like it was just like a really quiet, anyway, like a quiet. These are the stories you hear when you sit in church, but you're yeah. right there. So you could yeah. come back and preach a sermon on this, being like, "I saw this guy's nuts, and they were yeah, totally exactly." Good I know, afterwards. I did. Yeah, it was weird, wow. weird, weird, weird. But at that point, we were like, we felt we went on this part of that holiday after that little part in our lives, and with the people we were with, we felt the Holy Spirit. We were just like, we should go to America. So we randomly, we're in the butt edge of nowhere in Cambodia, and we're like, we should get to America. We just felt it was right, and so he lived. He lived in Tahoe, so it's sort of like 
Lake Tahoe. Maybe, you know, me just wanting to do some snowboarding. Who knows? But I felt that, yeah, yeah I wanted to go, right? So we're like, Holy we booked Spirit these calls. tickets. Had no, yeah, Holy Spirit calls. Had no, like, winter gear or anything. And we just went on this loop and we ended up at the weird, like, I can't explain. Like, so we've gone from, I can't, this thing in, like, my history, we end up in Bethel Church. Do you know anything about Bethel Church? Oh, I know they're, like, super charismatic. Lots of, like, gold yeah. dust coming down from the yeah, ceiling. Yeah, they're very the Spontaneous worship, like, dance, dancing on the stage and stuff. Like, really, really quite, like, exuberant, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was there and I went to the healing rooms and I got, like, my... I explained this is my background in history and anyway, I got like prayed over and I guess semi-slayed in the spirit. Um, what was that? It was sort of like, I felt really light. Like I felt like I was just like when they to... knock people over at the front. Yeah. yeah but it, it wouldn't it happen that way. It's sort of, I just felt like I just wanted to lay down and sit there and absorb the Holy spirit and stuff like that. The more the point was when I remember laying there looking up in this seat, I'm just like, how did I take, like you go from that initial right wing hall and then what happened in my Adventist version of ministry? And now here I, you know, and then I'm in Cambodia. And now I'm here in Redding, California. You're riding the full spectrum. I'm just <laughs> riding the spectrum. <laughs> and I'm like, how did I end up here? This is so weird. From um, like and super hardline conservative to like the most charismatic, like out there. Like yeah. conservative Matt would be like, you are definitely in the devil's playground right now. Surely, yeah. A hundred percent. So there's that fear that's still deep in me. Like, just oh. like, am I just like deceived mm. this entire time? Like, is this just me like losing my way during the final phases of God's, you know, the uh, end the times. False prophets. The false prophets have hooked me. And yeah. here I am with, you know, Brian Johnson and <laughs> with Apple products uh, and Brian Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> um, like Jan Johnson, all them doing this stuff. And, um, Jesus culture, we had this like we good were at this band. event. Great music. Yeah, yeah, good band, good music. Um, anyway, so I get I end up being out, we're running out of money at this point. So I'm like, we eventually make our way back home. And I feel like what are we like I, I and I, I start like um, doing some flying flat work and exploration geology. And I feel like I'm on this new phase of life. And Sarah and I feel like we've got this new phase of our life. And um, a locally, I get it on my local job in geology back there. So I'm back where I grew up and um, my friend invites us to this church. And this church is, uh, is a, it was from um, the people, they were from Hillsong and they were planning a church. It wasn't Hillsong ch uh, church plant, but they were um, starting this church um, on the central coast near my house. So we go and we rock up there and there's something we couldn't both explain to ourselves. We just felt it was right that we, hmm. we attend this church. So we did. Um, and then, man, there's so much I could talk about here, but it's, you know, it's, it's not your Bethel style church at all. It's not like this full like, okay. Holy Spirit thing. It's quite, like like, I guess like a Hillsong. Hillsong's very like, you'd say still conservative, like in the sense that there's not a lot of phenomena happening in, there's a lot of like music well, and there's a lot yeah. of like preaching. From an Adventist perspective, it's like, oh, it's super liberal, but I suppose from a Pentecostal perspective, yeah, it seems not super charismatic. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was just, there's something I couldn't explain about this place that I felt like I needed to be at and it was strange. But anyway, um, I started attending and then long story short, we were asked to become the youth pastors and then the church was really growing at this point. The youth ministry really grew. Like it, it multiplied multiple times 
um, became like quite a big thing. I was working full time also. Then I started preaching a lot there. And this was such like a, obviously my, my senior pastors at the time just thought my whole experience was so weird, right? And they, and the more people I started getting networked within, within this movement and speaking my story to, and because my church part senior pastors were quite well networked, they're like many, I guess you would say Christian influencers. Um, they had bring in all their friends and they would introduce me to them. I'd tell this part of my story. They always, yeah, it was always this like crazy story that God had led me to this point. How would they look at your charismatic experience? Like if, if they, how does that like Hillsong brand, I suppose, to just generic it, how does Hillsong brand look at Bethel brand? Do they, cause I know Adventists would look at Bethel brand going, oh, that's definitely demonic stuff. But is that how Hillsong brand would see it? Um, no, no. Okay. What I found, yeah, that's a whole thing we could talk about, but what I found it's just like, it's, it's very varied. It's just like all colors of the rainbow within like, okay. Pentecostal, no big deal. That ignorant, self-righteous mind, Matt, thought it was all one thing, and it's not. It's just like uh, this, okay. like myriad of different like niches, and some okay. people are into this, and some people into the rapture, some people are not. Some people are super oh. hot, heaps into the uh, like prosperity. Some people think that tongues is initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. Some people think that's stupid. It's oh. very uh, far more like theologically diverse. Like really, oh, the okay. thing that a Pentecostal church at its DNA comes down to is just that experience it's just okay. like god's the, it's the encounter of the holy spirit is the big you would say okay. um hermeneutic which is a fancy word of just like saying you know systematic understanding of how we take and we approach the bible and spiritual life um okay. um so anyway it's around this time that my friends i have two really close friends to me and they're just really feeling like i'm wasting my time and they're really trying to save me from um you know I guess, wasting my being life, a pastor. being a pastor. Um, I'm in my twenties and it's only a certain amount of time I have left in my life. And they were passionate atheists. So they shared, like we started exchanging and then I sent, I'm actually found like Googling as so I found this thing of this argument between Sam Harris and William Lay Craig, which is a, mm. a, a massive debate um, that um, happened, I think at some university hall. And I was like, and I thought, I thought William Lay Craig sort of smoked Sam Harris in this whole thing because he's like an amazing orator, like orator and he's like a really learned guy. Sam Harris is sort of highly intellectual, extremely intelligent, but probably wasn't able to keep up to William Lay's like force of like rhetoric. It was hmm. just so strong in him. But there was a part there where um, at the end, Sam said this one thing and it's so weird of all the things that he said in this thing that just really just went through to the keeper just went through my defense mechanisms that were there like the elephant and the rider thing it just made it all the way through and the elephant you're saying yeah well because the elephant in this case would be me not wanting to like invalidate my experience of me being in this up-and-coming pastor in a pentecostal church and the rider is just getting sucked where the elephant is it's not a logical conversation if you've ever been in any form of political or religious discussion it's never a logical conversation it's a like we, we lead with our reasoning from intuition. So pick up mm. the book and read it and you'll understand more, but that's the TLDR of some of the, that section of the book. And so I'm just more being defensive, like, right? Like I'm looking for any evidence that can then like prevent me from like losing my calling, losing my youth ministry, using like losing my whole trajectory in life. Um, and I just wanted to go into full-time ministry. Like that's all I just wanted to do. And that was my trajectory of that church. And he said this thing at the end, which... He's just like, just imagine everyone. This is Sam. Can you just put the Sam Harris, you know, like... Talking super slow? 
just yeah, just like, can you just imagine? <laughs> like, um, how did he speed him up? Like, Islam is real. He said this. He said, if Islam is real, and all of us are wrong, and we're all about to burn in hell, like we're about to go and burn in hell. <laughs> and he's like, just sit with that for a moment. Have you ever worried about that? And he's like, probably not. He's like, that's exactly how I feel about religion. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I haven't sat there worried that I was going to some Islam, I love Hindu driven hell. hell or Buddhist hell. To be or... honest, I haven't even researched outside of like studies of religion at high school. Yeah. I hadn't even given much thought to, to Islam, let alone the thousands of other belief systems out there. And so it was just mm. a thing that stuck through. I fought at the time. I didn't tell them that, but it was just something that just like it planted yeah. a seed in my mind that yeah, had like I you don't know everything. I don't know everything. And there's so much, like if you could just like zoom out of my life, I could tell you my st- testimony, my story. And it seems so God yeah. driven. Like there's so many weird things that have happened there, but at the same time, can they be explained in other ways? Like if I was to pitch this to an atheist, would they say, well, were the, were the healings real? Like, and I didn't really understand what was happening there. Were, you know, what was the likelihood of someone like, like the prophetic word could have been a lot more vaguer than you're making it out to be. Hmm. The tongue scene could have just been made up in your head. Anyway, I, I start, I guess, running through, questioning some things. And what I didn't realize then that was about to happen was quite a devastating quick succession and i think what happened if i was to just tldr it i was very burnt out at the time like uh, i was now realizing was i theologically honest with myself have i been honest with myself and it just really annoyed me that question in my head so i started reading books like i started di- like i started diving into these books but then i realized i had to like preach on the weekend so i had this like cognitive dissonance thing going on and i was just like i don't know what to do like i i I was freaking out and then um, I, we went on holidays and I came back and I, I sort of realized when I came back that I had to get some space away from ministry. And then I get this text message from my senior pastor saying that one of my senior pastor has breast cancer and, and I was like devastated obviously for her and I knew at that point that this was no time for me to explain that I'm having a crisis of the faith to mm. my senior pastors. Like they're going to need me to preach. They're going to need me to like hold the yeah. pulpit a little bit. And so what entered into the next phase of my life was a really weird cog, like just like extreme cognitive dissonance because I was reading all these books on the side. I felt like this guilty thing of like, as I was starting to read and understand and I was starting to like conceptualize why I had formed this worldview, why it made sense. And like I was engaging a lot of this literature, but at the same time I had to preach on the weekend and I had to hold the youth ministry together. I had to hold all these things together but deep so is this atheist me. literature? Is this kind atheist of... Atheist literature, it's like different, like it's... And I, I guess I just, it just really annoyed me in the sense that I couldn't, I couldn't stand there and say, yes, I was 100% theologically honest with myself. Mm. I couldn't sit there and say, yes, I had done the work and looked at these other perspectives in life. And I hadn't. Like if I look back at my right wing to like... In, I was all within mainstream Christianity, which is a whole product of my environment. And uh-huh. put me so, in Utah and maybe I would become a Mormon. So I start mm. like funny Conrad, I start watching Mormon TV. Like <laughs> as an exercise. Mormon TV, there's better things on YouTube. <laughs> I know, like I, I start I've got the podcast on like Apple TV and I'm watching Mormon TV and I'm watching these stories uh-huh. of people go, 
you know what? I had this calling in my life. I was like, I could have been a pro surfer, but you know, I just knew um, the church was right. And I had to go on mission instead. And I'm like, in another context, that's me. And I guess Mormonism is that like easy thing to beat up in the sense that it's yeah. so weird and, and quirky. But at the Pretty same niche. time, these people that have gone there, gone to Brigham Young University, they're pumping out the kids, saving them from this planet. And like they've got this weird <laughs> bunch of like belief systems. And I could have been that guy. I could have been Matt on mission defending myself. So Sam Harris exposes to you in that one moment that your whole belief structure and the way you've interpreted these things that have happened to you in your life is almost wholly uh, outcome of where you've grown up, how you've grown up, what story you've been fed. And so now you're looking at yourself going, circumstances have made me this. So how can I, how can, I only think this religion's true because I was brought up in it. And how can I be honest with myself saying, I know it to be true when now I'm thinking, oh yeah, I could be a Mormon if I was just born in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Is that? That's that's essentially what's happening. And I'm starting to like, see what was happening in church much more like my experience of going and becoming indoctrinated at apple because the church was really driven like the style like you would say like the uh, liturgy of the church was very much about emotion it was around the same thing it's really jacking into the oxytocin like our brain chemicals like i'd I'd sit back and i try and explain myself like i try and explain to that atheist side of myself and go what happened tonight at church did anyone actually get radically healed no, a lot of people come to the front. There's a lot of emotion. A lot of people thinking they're speaking in tongues, but nothing's really happening. The church isn't growing. We pray about revival. It was growing in a uh, transfer-wise sense, like a transfer sense, but it wasn't like, I, I didn't feel like if we held this message that was going to transform, you know, Australia, which is what oh. people get up and they like, I'm like, is that really happening here? Like, is this really, is any of this really happening? And then so you're looking at like, the data points now. That's what you're yeah, saying. You're saying if the numbers actually, are growing and they're just coming from other churches. But there's not- also a huge backdoor. Not like Adventism has the same problem in the sense and Pentecostalism has the same problem. A massive backdoor of young people. So I've seen the youth pastor thing like, and I loved youth ministry, but like you'd have like all these kids come through, you take them to a summer camp and there'd be this all this emotion. There'd be all this thing of the, all these commitments. And then you'd have this post summer camp like trajectory down of like numbers because his mm. kids just got back to life and just went, and they just got back to life, right? It, it, there was like this lack of follow through. And mm. I mean, I mean, we had some phenomenal speakers. We had like Carl Lentz speak, um, you know, wow, big to dog. host him. What, what's that, sorry? That's a, that's a big, that's like the Oprah Winfrey of Yeah, I know. Right? So, uh, we had like, we had like Chen and Brian come back and do like an, a youth event for us, which is a whole story in its own. Um, like, so I, like, I was me, like, I was, I felt like I was at the, like I was at the pointy end of the spear of like yeah you were in yeah we were like this is like but what is actually happening here like it seems so still on the on the edge anything like that I could really if someone did an investigative journalism investigation of what was happening in my youth ministry what was happening in church I just really couldn't pinpoint down like yeah people are getting their lives changed but people get their lives changed at network marketing events or in other religions (laughs) like like they get their lives changed at a Tony Robbins event like and they're all using Mm. the same tactics so it would have like this weird, these weird experiences, right? So um, you would say like, I'm coming to the end of the sermon. I'm half believing what I'm saying. And 
I've, I've asked the, the, the band to come up and... <laughs> I just asked the band to come and join me right I just now. asked the band to come and join me, right? <laughs> and He's up there. Skinny jeans on. Skinny jeans on. Baggy t-shirt. Baggy t-shirt. Drawn in tattoos. No. Um, <laughs> no, that were real. <laughs> no, that were real. Um, and you could just bring people to this really emotive point where you would be like, I don't know where you're at right now but I just have a feeling that God wants to speak to you. And I guess I'm mirroring my own experience out of Melbourne when I came in really lost and I start speaking to that avatar and I'm like, right now you could be trying to toss up to know whether, you know, does God love me? Does God even care about anything that I've been through in my life? Speaking to that pain point. But I want to let you know right now that God does care, that he's here for you and he loves you and he's actually there's all these times that you've been out, out in the ocean or you've been in something beautiful or wonder, oxytocin, nature. You, God was speaking to you in those points saying, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you today. And maybe you've run from this wrong idea of who he was. You've seen what's happened in religion. You've seen what's in TV. And you know, I don't want any of that. And he wants to let you know tonight that that's not him either. But he wants a genuine relationship with you. The God of the universe would have died just for you and right now i just want every head to be bowed and eyes to be closed as we except for the people who will be watching this to do the legion afterwards i was thinking right now your heart might be beating you might you just be sitting there wrestling is god speaking to you right now and asking for you to say yes to him and before in my sermon i might have had them putting their hands up to this point where they're more like to a point of where they're like more likely to put their hand up. You can even pre-program it, leading it in to have more of a response afterwards. And so right now, every head bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking. It's not quite true. I always looked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking. And the, the hosts are looking ready to like give you a Bible and like get your get your details. But right now, it's you just want to put your hand up and say, I'm not saying say yes to I'm not saying to say yes to it a religion. I'm just saying yes to a relationship. Or you're not joining a church. You're saying yes to God. Yes, I see that hand. <laughs> and see, then you'd see the social proof engage. You'd say that one hand and then more hands would follow. I see that other hand. That, oh, yep. That person at the back. Yep. I see you. Yep. Oh, and there's someone in the front. Yes, young lady. God loves you. And hands are popping, popping, popping. And not always, but this is when the social proof thing would kick in. And, and then I'd be like, wow, God's just moving right now in the house. Isn't it amazing? There must be one more. There's one more person here. They always want one more. There's, there's one more. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Okay. We're going to say this prayer. And um, then we would follow it up as like the band would still be on these, these, these pads and then would kick into this music and like you'd feel amazing, right? But it's a damn mighty like come down when you take away the music and you take away all of it and you realize potentially I could have that same response you know, North Korea uses the same tactics of the hive mind to and exposure to a certain leader to get us involved and suck, you know, sucked into their thinking and, 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 and worldview. Sports teams use these same tactics in different ways. And I guess I just came to that point when I realized that what I was doing was more tactically driven, is more marketing driven and... I was not what I was not what I thought I was anymore 
Like I, that, that, per, that, that innocent part of me that would really grab to faith had, is not there anymore. And I, I felt I could more explain everything through science and what was happening than explaining it through actually a supernatural phenomena that we claimed it to be. And so that then led me to resign from my position. And um, yeah, it was a really dark time. It was a really, a really shitty time, to be honest. Yeah. When you resign, is that kind of you lose all your friendship groups, you lose all the people you used to hang out with? You, does your world, was it, a, was it a world shift as well as just a job change or? Um, oh, I was part, yeah. Um, yeah. You've got all those thoughts running through your head, like of like, what am like? it's really hard to try and to process these thoughts when you've got to preach on the weekend. Like it's anyone that's been in that situation when you've been giving that altar call, like I was just doing, but your brain is like the reason why I gave that altar call then for you, Conrad. um, (laughs) Thank you. Was because that's what I was taking into into my mind at that time of like, I was like, is God doing anything? Is he not? And I'm just, I knew. Are you thinking this on stage while you're, so as you're, as you're preparing, because because this is, I suppose, what what people in good faith would do. So you know, a preacher standing up the front, going, "All right, you know, we want to reach as many people as we can." And I know that if I hint at this and get the keys up and say I'm going to have a exactly. hand and do the social proofing, we're going to get more hearts for Jesus. And so part of you knows this, but now because you've been an apple, you're sitting there as you're saying, "I see that hand." You're thinking social proof. They're going to put yeah. their hand up because I'm saying it's okay because I'm seeing other hands. And yes. then, and so now you've got these labels for things because of all the reading you've been doing, like the Righteous Mind, the book you're talking mm. about. And that seems to like rub all the shine off it now. Because before it was like, isn't like you finished up with, isn't it amazing that Jesus is like moving in this place? And yeah. you're kind of now thinking, well, not really. Apple do it probably better. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, I mean, Pentecostal churches are very good at it because they sort of, they have to be. Um, they're not supported, like they're mostly independent churches and then they're, they're supported literally by the wages of the church in, within it, right? And it's a new phenomena. And so they, they have to, I, I just think they've become amazing at structuring a service in a way that maximizes emotion and maximizes oxytocin. And um, yeah, I just think it's just because this, there's more of an incentive structure there for them to do that because they have to, right? To get, to get more people in, to get more people through the doors to get more people committed and serving. Like those services are really, have a high load on people, like in terms of the, the volunteer base. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's only, I think the only, the, to be honest, Conrad, probably the only time I really started getting perspective on it, this dragged on for a while because Sarah was still super involved. It put a lot of pressure on our marriage. Anyone that's been through this deconstruction thing and your wife or partner is not on the same journey, it's really screwed up. Like it's just really, you question everything, how you got together. Like I told, like me and Sarah were, thought we were there together for ministry that God had planned. And then you take away all of us and then what is left? And so mm. luckily one of my friends was like, Hey, we're going to do, we're going to go to Bali. Do you want to um, hang out with us in Bali? Basically say this awesome villa, their business was doing really well at the time. And, um, and I was like, I need to get out. I need to get away. I like, I was not, I knew I wasn't thinking irrationally. I had to get away to a, a new place to just really zone out and get my head around so I just like, yeah, let's do this, Sarah. And we just co- eventually got Sarah over the line to go to Bali. And Bali 
you know, we could talk a lot about that, but the TLDR on that experience was that finally when I was able to get away from my tribal influences, I think, hmm. was I able to actually observe another culture in another context. And I was able to see driving home in my, like riding home my scooter and seeing the kids pl- practice that weird music, which I you know you've been to Bali's, you've seen them all doing the, the practicing and, and seeing Maddie Potts in that environment and then discussing with our, our house staff why they didn't want to go into the, the bamboo because they believe demons hung out in the bamboo. But I'm like, I can't laugh at that because, you know, I'd had my own de- mm. demonic fears and I had my mentor like almost cast a demon out of me. And, and I'd been highly influenced by my priests as well because they'd say the priest would see this and that. And I'd had that experience when I was younger and this priest was, uh, sorry, this leader was telling me that I was um basically like a, a wanker um such a sexual deviant <laughs> um and so yeah i it was a beautiful time and there's a really it's a really cool part in the righteous mind where it talks he actually even mentions barley because they developed this whole belief system around the irrigation and the, the big thing he says around that is that the barley wouldn't have had such an advanced irrigation system if they didn't have a, this advanced like um you know, animistic slash Hindu, like religious belief system. That's really elaborate. And once you live there, you immerse yourself in it. You're like, you can get your, start to get your head around a bit more, but yeah, it's basically this thing. It's just this thing of religion. Like, and then I just placed myself there. And I guess that was the time when I don't want to get all like eat, pray, love on you, but like, <laughs> so um, it's going that way. Yeah. It's going that way. I just need to put some like um, yoga music on and do another yeah. like, Ubud. Um, Ubud style, like altar call. Mm. Um, but that was the time, I guess, when I got away from it all and I tamed to, I think what happens when you get these times in your life, when you're deconstructing, you get away from it all. That's what the, the tribe is trying not to get. I remember those conversations with my senior pastor. They're like, Matt, if you get away and you walk away from this, it was like clear warnings. You'll, you'll probably, like, this will send you on a trajectory and you won't, you, you can up leaving church. Stay connected, stay grounded, stay, you know, planted. That was their big, their big reasoning. But I actually don't think you can actually ever think rationally when you're in that sort of pressure or you've got that sort of family pressure around you. You need to get out to a place where you can observe, calm the elephant down inside of you, calm the arrogant, self-righteous asshole within you that thinks you're right and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And you can start to observe and to just think. And and then then I think there is windows where you can, I, I'll describe them as windows in your life where you can really recalibrate because the unfortunate data is, and the righteous mind talks about this, is that we're not rational 98. Like most of the time, we're not rational. We're driven by this chimp thing in our brain where we will just defend our tribe to, we won't listen to counter arguments very well. And we, we just, yeah, I guess we're just really bad at dealing with large data sets. And so that's where I ended. <laughs> that's my weird story. Um, I guess you got some questions, but. Well, um, I. I mean, to kind of package it in some of the themes that I've heard throughout your story, sounds like you're someone who was driven for what you would, you would have called this authenticity. Like you would look at like, like slippery eel, young liberal Adventist Conrad being like, ah, that's not Adventism. I know Adventism. It stands for end times. And this guy hasn't read one Ellen White book. How, you know, she's the, she's the, the messenger or whatever. And I'd be like, Ellen, who? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so you're looking for this authenticity, which has led you to go into the heart of all this stuff. And then when you're there, you're looking around going, is this it? And so you go to somewhere else and you're still looking for that same thing until the point it sounds like you just became innately aware 
of all the things that you have no control over that shape you, all the irrational forces that lead you to this position, to this position, whether it's uh, your group think, your like family forces, the tribe forces of a religion, um, just social conditioning. And then you're starting, as you're adding these labels that you're being handed as you're reading all this, I guess, uh, scientific or atheist literature, then it sounds like you really just deconstructed you're saying, how do I have this? It can't be authentic if if this is a result of all these factors that I have no control over. So that sounds like it leads you then into an atheistic worldview. And then my next question is, is that where you are now in this like yeah. hyper-rationalist saying, you know, there's a there's a materialistic, explanation for everything when you look back on your experience you've got a now you've got a materialistic uh, explanation going well that was probably dopamine and you know i didn't really understand i didn't have a, a good data set in front of me to know whether they're getting healed or not it could have just been you know coincidences testes could be emitted by b and then shrunk at the same time i exactly, prayed like yeah. or the placebo effect yeah talk to me about how you assess your uh your experience as you look at it now and where, where are you now? Like, cause mo- a lot of people might be hearing this going, Oh, well, he's a hardened like pro Sam Harris atheist now that thinks like religion's a joke and no waste of everybody's time. Yeah. And I guess that's why I was heavily influenced by Jonathan's book because he doesn't land there either. He talks about how religion binds and blinds, binds mm. and blinds. And I guess that's my experience. Like I was bound to Adventism and blinded to these other perspectives. And I was bound to Pentecostalism and blinded to it. And then like, I see it as a natural phenomenon. And then I'd be in Bali and you see this beautiful expression of a belief system that was really important for their rice irrigation systems. And then you go, it just seems there's something part of us that we can't turn off these hive switches. We can't help but be influenced when we walk into the room of Apple and we're suddenly becoming Appleized. We can't help it when we're hearing an altar call to be drawn into that with that music and emotion and social proof that's in the room to think that we're making the right decision. And so I'm not, you would say, where would I be now? It would be not like, I'm not opposed to a, a God or a, um, you'd say people try and pigeonhole into something. And I'm still working that out to, to a large extent. I did embrace like, I guess a materialistic atheistic view. Um, but I guess it, where I'm at now is just whatever I'm, looking into whatever it is like, how does it hold any explanatory power? That's how I just see it. I think it was a theory of everything book. It was a pretty amazing book. It was just talking about, you know, really what it comes down to is like, why do we believe in evolution? Well, we believe in evolution because it has explanatory power when we look at the fossil record. We, look, we believe in evolution because it has explanatory power when we look at genetics or when we look at um, biology and we look at all these different facets or zoology, they all interconnect and there's an explanatory power. The other explanatory power could it could be a god that created it. Maybe it was, maybe it was Krishna. We're all wrong. It was Krishna, but like, what's the most likely explanation that Krishna created, or was it that evolution somehow created it? And so, you would say then, okay, okay, that's the materialist world. But what about the supernatural and some of those weird experiences? Well, I'm open to the idea that those experiences that I had could have been maybe largely self-manufactured. That I didn't have a spoken tongues. That there was just all like confirmation bias kicked in. But there's a part of me that still, I think, is still 
open to spirituality and still wants to know more, is still curious, still, you know, still reading. And part of why we do this podcast, right, is we still read this stuff and we're still reflecting and trying to put it all together. But I just put it down to what what is this explanatory power in my life? Does this have an explanatory power? And me picking up a book on Buddhism and reading it, it does to some extent. And me picking up even like some Christian stuff, um, even though it took a while for that triggering thing and the full, you know, when you're letting go of your your faith and things like that, your core faith of what you were brought up to be, um, you, there's still there's still an explanatory power within there. There's still something in there that explains the human experience. Hmm. Um, even if you manufacture all of it and put on all this thing, like there's still something beautiful about gathering in a church. Mm. And yes, it's some parts of it are screwed up. Yes. There's like abuse of power and there's weird things that happen with money in these churches. And, um, but that happens everywhere. And I, so I never let, I never landed on that point of like, I had these moments all the time when I was just like, what if I just never did any of this? And I just was just like, you know, financially I would have been way better off obviously. And I wouldn't have wasted so much time in my twenties. But then I'm like, I met all these amazing people. And if I was to be honest, some of the biggest points of growth in my life was probably in church like in me getting up and facing my fears to speak in public and to go through that and to grow as a leader and to grow as a person and I certainly wouldn't have met all the people that I've met we wouldn't be friends we wouldn't be having this podcast now so I'm like Mm. "Mm." like it is what it is right it is part of Mm. I think looking back and seeing myself as that self-righteous asshole that we, we all are that doesn't mm. deal with arguing counter arguments to their belief systems well at all. And as I formulated, as I became a marketer and I started understanding more and more about the human condition, I read things like predictably irrational, um, you know, uh, amazing books, sapiens, like you, you start to put together, like humans are very vulnerable to ideas and thoughts and, and we're very impressionable. Like you can make someone vote more conservative. If you put a hand sanitizer next to where their voting thing is like humans, are ex- like, and, I've seen this when I've run split tests on thousands and thousands of clicks from Facebook where you humans react in different ways to certain stimulus and we're not as rational as we are. And so, yes, a part of that was pain. A part of like religion has caused a lot of pain in my life in some ways. In other parts, it's been beautiful. So I can't separate the two completely. All I can do now is just LOL at my story that I just shared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And put together what was good and spit out what was bad because the a stereotypical atheist perspective often looks back at a journey like yours and and maybe you've had some of this same sentiment and it goes i was just an idiot i was dumb i was believing what everybody was thinking and and there might be like this sense of shame or feeling like an idiot like for for believing like these lies it's not true and it's like i i see i hear a lot of that but i also i don't hear that's where you are now like hearing you kind of say well maybe there is some good to so as much as you as we as you sat down and you critiqued it and you went well it's just a hive mind it's a a flat minor or whatever uh, whatever chord that is that makes you yeah, feel yeah, yeah. like makes you feel really good and we can go oh well that's social proof and that's this and that's that i don't necessarily hear you drawing the conclusion that it shouldn't be done or it's a waste of time i'm hearing you almost say like is there a place for like Maybe I just want to go. 
Matt, to one of these players. Just experience one of those altar calls again. You, you really got me started by leading that really good <laughs> altar call there. I was like, I missed that. That was really good to just cheer with a bunch of people and feel really happy. I mean, yeah. why not be stoked over that new iPhone? Like, it, yeah. it seems like you're landing in this... I suppose it's a difficult space, but that's the space of the podcast where we're kind of wanting to go is, is find that are these beliefs useful? Because I'm struck by what you said, because I've read that book, uh, the writer's mind and that takeaway that we are not rational. We are, (laughs) we think we're the writer steering that elephant left and right. But really, the elephant is going left. And then, then the rider goes, oh, I steered that left. But yeah. really, the elephant goes where the hell it wants. Yeah, and it's all post-rationalized. It, yeah, it sounds like your, your whole journey is you becoming aware of how you think and the factors that shaped you. And now kind of moving forward with that going, okay, well, can I explain this with like, logic, reason, facts, and science, but is religion, I don't know, are, are we getting to this point, Matt, where you, you say you're open to kind of continuing to explore, you know, what is out there? Are there, are there miracles? Are there demons? Are, like, I don't know, like you, you kind of sit on the fence saying, well, maybe not, but you're not really willing to write it off completely. Does religion sit in this, in this space where religion's really good at making that elephant steer? And does that then make religion very useful to us? Mm. I think it's I think it's an in- inevitable. Whether it's 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 in Pentecostal Christianity or Adventism or Mormonism, right? It's well, inevitable that we do these things. That we create stories and we tribe together. Um, I remember when, because uh, like I became so interested in cults after this entire experience, as you would, I guess, maybe trying to like rationalize my experience. And uh, I was driving home where I was living in Sydney and this um, Uber guy, we started talking about cults somehow. He's like, I've actually done like really high level up study. Like I think my PhD thesis or master's thesis on cults. And I was like, dude, we've got to talk. So it was like leaning forward and we're just talking and we're talking about Mormonism. And he's just like, dude, and he said, the thing interesting with Mormonism is like the thing that's effective with their mission, particularly in obviously developed world, the same issue with Adventism and Pentecostalism. They're not growing right. There's a huge backdoor the new, these new people that are joining these religions are leaving. But the most effective thing in Mormonism, he said, was that all those no's that they got on those doors knocking, and I've done door knocking back in the day, the fundamentalist thing, all those no's actually just make them a better Mormon eventually. When they come mm. back, and I've seen this with my Mormon friends, they become really um, more and more and more like established in their Mormon faith. And it's all those no's. It's all that rejection. It's all that defending. It's all like... It's all the mm. it's all the elephant going down these pathways of like reinforcing and and honoring your tribe um, and defending your tribe that we all blindly do whether that's in politics or in science has this as well like we're all hijacked by really bad thinking and so that's what he said is one of the most effective things in mission and it just really struck me I'm like wow all those no's in my life of like all that rejection that like the, you say all that pushback that I got from both a conservative Adventist perspective of like people just not understanding that drums are evil and they're syncopated and they're from voodoo. And then like all that pushback I got in my family of like demons are coming into your life now and you're throwing it all away, blah, 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 because of this like Pentecostal rubbish. And that the entire time I'm, my writers like is barely in control. Like, huh. and, th- and coming to that honest place is a really 
really sobering experience. And I guess yeah. many people listening to the show have had that experience um, that we're not rational and that we're not really in control. And it's just this elephant. And I guess this is someone listening with, could listen to it and go, Oh, it just sounds a bit, you're just all over the shop and look at me. Yeah. I've been an Adventist for 20 years. And um, logically, yeah. And I'd be like, that's great. That's awesome. But um, have you done the work? I just, you could just leave the same place. Have you really done the work? Have you sat there and you've really exposed, have you read these books that um, have a different perspective on 1844 or on on the Sabbath? Have you sat down and and read these books about what these atheists are saying? If you weren't born into this religion, would have you likely come out this way? Mm. And if someone has gone through that journey, I fully respect, and then still is an Adventist or still a Pentecostal, I'm fine for. But to be honest, I didn't find like, you ask those questions and most people haven't. They just don't want to do the work. Mm. And I think it's just too hard. It's too traumatic. There's too much pain. Um, there's only those points when, you know, some people are brought to it, whether it's like they're being hurt by church or they're being um, they're gay or something and they've got enough pain in their life to really irritate them and to go, or they're burning out, whatever it is, mm. to them really to question things. And I think those windows are short and they're small. And when people deconstruct, they have like it happens. But in general, people are happy. It's, it's almost like the brain as an evolutionary byproduct of one not wanting to waste too much energy. It's just so much easier to group think and it's so much easier to let that elephant make the decision for you. Mm. And I suppose that's what I'm excited to explore with you in this podcast. To explore different worldviews, different like religious experiences, different theological constructs of how people see the world to potentially see what are we missing? What is there something, is there some explanatory power in that worldview? Is there, is there some really beneficial elephant taming mechanism that maybe I like, maybe I should fit into my worldview to really help me move forward. Uh, because I think it's very easy to look at religion and say, oh, it's like completely useless. We don't need it. What a waste of time. Let's just be hyper-rational and then continue being led around by your elephant. Because when I yeah. look at Instagram today, Matt, I see a lot of like he- hearing you break down your religious journey using these like marketing terms and psychology terms. I'm seeing religions being born all over Instagram, you know, different yoga clubs, different like mm. health food, vegan, like whatever's the Apple cult, the cult of Apple, Matt, you've yeah. been deep in the heart. I joined CrossFit, right? In the last year and we had that conversation. <laughs> oh, I'm like, well, it just must be a cult thing with me, right? So well, I'm just like, I laugh my head off. I'm like, come on, man, CrossFit. This is like a really lame cult if it is one. But, anyway, but like- that's actually a great example because if you value being fit, if you buy into this elephant taming mechanism with social proof and like accountability and and like this identity and now you're friggin' Jack, we all suffer together. Yeah. Yeah. Like that sounds like a great thing to sign up to. And I'm very excited to explore that with you, Matt, to find out what are we missing? Maybe, maybe we can tame our elephants with some of these really interesting ideas from that people have might have in their life experience. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think it's actually fun. It's actually fun being like so many times you'd have that conversation with someone with a different worldview. And from a Christian perspective, you'd be trying to like mission, like bring God or the mission of Jesus into the whole conversation. And like, how can I swing this conversation around? <laughs> how do I make them how think like I, me? 
how does it make them think like me? Like they're destabilizing my elephants running. I need to like defend my worldview, whatever they're saying against it. Um, and just listening and mm. like, and just being aware of that thing and just, and embracing like, it's an almighty can't come down. Like you can't like that. I, I still miss the oxytocin of worship and I still miss the oxytocin of a message and that mm. feeling on that feeling you'd get in that, in those rooms was sometimes electric. It's just amazing. Like, and I don't know if you can re- replicate it that easily just in a normal life, but going back to normal life has certainly come down, but there's an honesty there. There's a somewhere where you don't have to just turn off your brain and you can listen to an idea and you can just be like, how, okay, I'm feeling myself wanting to fight this. I'm feeling myself wanting to like get angry at this thing. Sometimes I hear that with like a really, we had that conversation last week around Islam. There's parts of me that's just like, you know, is quite angry at the situation and, but I can recognize that's my, that's my rider. So that's my elephant getting out of control and I can really just relax, listen to the story and just go, wow, what, what's the learn here? How do we, how do we grow through this? How do we, how, where are the blind spots in my life that are currently that I blindly defend and I have zero idea about mm. and that, that keeps me reading books. Exposing ourselves to the mirror that is other people's journey and letting yeah. ourselves be judged by their experience. It, it's not comfortable. I think Matt, I think not, it takes a special pain to move into this kind of discomfort. Mm. But if that's what you're into, if you're into interesting stories, interesting journeys, and just sitting with someone's journey that might be completely different to yours, then you're in the right place. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. What do you think? Uh, how how's this format going? That feedback would be really great because we're gonna we're gonna continue down this uh, story driven, hearing other people's experience around religion. So if you have any uh, worldviews that you would like to see explored, I think we have a friend of the show wanting to explore mediums. Now that's a, that's a big no no, Matt. From from your <laughs> worldview, <laughs> like speaking in wow. tongues, that's like that's like oh yeah, like get here or there. But but mediums, that, that's that's a that's a big no no. And, and but some people might be curious to explore, like what what are we missing in that? Have we? Is it is it real? Is it mm. a con? Is it is it the devil? Yeah, I'm very and I- I'm very curious. And I guess my programming is just tuned me into like, should we like, what is there an afterlife? Is there like life after death? Like what do we mm. do with all that stuff? So I've got like a really interesting story of an NDE near death experience, which okay, is really interesting to dive into. All right. Quite so a very powerful story, actually. If that sounds like what you're into, then I will catch you in those next episodes. Thanks for, the, thanks for listening.